Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. And I would invite you to take out your Bibles now, the Word of God, and turn in them to the book of Romans and chapter number 15. Romans 15, and if you don't happen to have a copy of the Word of God, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You could take that and then turn it to page 128, and you would be at Romans chapter 15. You know, celebrations are something that happens every single week, and celebrations take all different kinds of forms. Sometimes we get to celebrate sports victories. For example, when the Oklahoma City Thunder played its very first game without Kevin Durant, uh, without KD, and we actually won. That was an exciting celebration that we can have. There is life after KD for the Thunder. And then you remember a couple of weeks ago, OU played Texas Tech, and there was a bevy of records set in that game. More than 18 national and league and team records were set And when you have that kind of a game, you want to be able to celebrate at the end. And so sometimes we celebrate sports victories. Sometimes we celebrate things like birthdays. How many of us in the last two months have had a birthday? Look at all those hands that are up. Congratulations to you on another birthday. We're so glad that you had another birthday, and we pray you have many more. Another kind of celebration that we can have would be celebrations of graduations. How many students here are extremely excited that one day they will be graduating? Let me see some of your hands. Yeah, some of you are going, yeah, man, I'm ready to go right now. We also celebrate wedding anniversaries, right? Celebrations include wedding anniversaries. I'm curious, how many people here at Wildwood today have been married for 20 years or more. Let me see your hands up. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? Congratulations on that. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. And then another thing we celebrate oftentimes would be the birth of a baby. And in our family, we had a a brand new grandson by the name of Noah Bear Hess. And so he just was here. Yeah, I know. He's just an incredibly cute, isn't he? Uh, What a thing to celebrate. It was great to be able to hold him and think about the new life that God has given to our family. All of these things, all of these things are worthy celebrations. But today, we want to have one of the greatest celebrations at all, and that is we want to spend some time celebrating God's promises, His promises to you and to me because of His great love for us. If you've been with us, you know we've been in a series of messages from Romans that we've entitled Walk in Love, and today I want to tie a bow on that series. And in order to do that, I want to just make a mini summary of what we've looked at in part of chapter 13, chapter 14, and then also in part of chapter 15. You know, we have looked at the fact, uh, Paul has told us about, God has spoken to us about the fact that there are some gray areas in the Christian life that the Scripture does not directly address certain choices we make in living our life. And we are called, even though the Scripture doesn't directly address them, to develop our own convictions about them. And then we're called to accept each other. 
we are called to refrain from passing judgment on one another or looking with contempt on one another because someone else has a different conviction from ours. And we were also reminded that all of us are going to give an account to God for the choices we make in living out our Christian life. We were basically enjoined to pursue things that make for peace and the building up of one another. Our aim is to please our neighbor for his good, for her building up. And then we've seen that we are to function as a body of believers with one accord. There is to be harmony despite our differences. In essence, we are to team together. We are to avoid conflict and contentiousness, avoid squabbles and strife, avoid friction and factions. Now, when we take all of that together, we might get the idea that the end goal of this would be that we would be a happy huddle together. Someone even asked me about that last week as we talked about this uh, walking in love. And they said, is this only for some sort of an inward benefit that we do this? Is that really what it's all about? That we would be a happy huddle, that the end goal would be as one of my favorite groups, the Turtles, said in 1967, is the end goal is that we would be happy together. Is that really what it's all about? Well, not really. Uh, The call to walk in love ultimately has a dual end goal to it. And the first part of that dual end goal is that we're to walk in love, and when we do so, we attract others to Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, he says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we have that walking in love that we do together, it attracts others to Jesus. This is a principle that is not only true in the New Testament, it's a principle that goes all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 13, 8, Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, for we are brothers. Now, why did he say that? He knew that others were watching. And part of the idea is to attract people to the God that we serve. So when we talk about walking in love, there's a dual end goal involved. The first one is to attract others to Jesus. The second one is to glorify and honor God. And in my opinion, this is the ultimate end goal. It is the goal that is stressed in chapter 15, verses 7 to 13. And I would like to read those verses and would invite you to follow along as I'm reading. Paul writes to the believers in Rome, and he says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy As it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, 
and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at these verses, I've given an outline to them, and the outline is this. First of all, we have the core reminder given to us in verse 7. And then we have the central aim, in my opinion, the ultimate end goal involved in verse 7 at the end to verse 12, or through verse 12. And then we have a concluding intercession that Paul gives in verse 13. So that's what we want to look at. We want to unpack these verses together. So we're going to begin by looking at the core reminder in verse 7. Look at it again. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. Now, this therefore in verse 7, we could say it's a big therefore. He's basically saying, in light of all that I've said about walking in love previously, chapter 13, chapter 14, and into chapter 15, in light of all that I've said previously, therefore, here is the reminder of the core thing I want us all to get, is what Paul is saying. Therefore, accept one another. We've seen that verb before in chapter 14. It's a word that means to welcome one another, to receive one another. And this is a mutual thing that we do back and forth. We accept one another, we welcome each other, we receive each other. What he's really saying, I believe, to, to these believers and to us, is he's saying avoid becoming high-centered. Avoid becoming high-centered with your differing convictions, where some areas that you may disagree or some conflicts you may have over some of your choices of how to live out the Christian life. Don't get high-centered. And I want to remind you that he is writing the book of Romans from a place called Corinth. You might remember Corinth and the church at Corinth. And I think in the back of Paul's mind, he's thinking about the Corinthian church. <laughs> and I think as he writes the Romans, he's thinking in his mind, don't, don't be like the Corinthians. You remember the Corinthian church was very fleshly. The flesh would rear its ugly head a lot in that church. There was pride that was dominating people's perspectives. There were schisms. There were contentions. And I think in his mind, is, he's saying, I don't want another church like that. Don't be like the Corinthians at all. Don't get high-centered on differing convictions. Notice verse 7 again. Therefore, accept one another. And here comes the key phrase, just as Christ also accepted us. Isn't that a wonderful thing that Christ accepted us? He welcomed us. He received us. Despite all of our warts and our weaknesses, he did that. Despite our lack of godliness, he did that. Despite all the blind spots that we have, he still accepted us and welcomed us and received us. In fact, his acceptance of us and me and you goes way beyond just those things, accepting us with our warts and our weaknesses. Remember how 
He described this in Romans 5. He said, even when we were helpless, Christ died for us. In fact, even when we were sinners in rebellion against God, Christ died for us. Even when we were his enemies, because we had this rejection going with God, Christ died for us. We are to accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. I'm going to refer you over to a passage of Scripture that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and then it's a couple verses on down in chapter 5 and verse 2, but this is what he wrote. And I want you to look at this passage carefully. He wrote to those believers, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. And then here comes a key phrase that if you underline your Bible, you might want to underline, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. See, that's the motivational standard that we have. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We're to imitate God. And then he says, and here comes the, really the title of our series, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. We are to accept one another just as Christ also has accepted us. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of me. He's accepted us. We should accept one another. And as beloved children, we should walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. That's the core reminder in our series, to accept one another just as Christ also has accepted us. But I want us to shift over to the central aim The central aim occurs at the end of verse 7 on down through verse 12. We are to accept one another, verse 7, just as Christ also accepted us. And here comes the phrase, to the glory of God. You see how that's the ultimate end goal, is that he would get glory and honor You know, when you have people of different backgrounds and different personalities and different ages and different races and different convictions about certain lifestyle choices, and there is harmony yet, and there is unity, you know what that results in? That results in praise and honor to God. We are to accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. And he's going to go on and talk about how God was always designed to receive the glory. In verse 8, he begins to talk about the Jews. And he says, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, to the Jews, to the Jewish believers on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. You know, he basically came to the Jews to verify that God keeps his promises. You remember, he promised a deliverer. He promised a redeemer. He promised a Messiah. And when Jesus came, the ultimate end goal of that was to verify that God keeps his promises. And the ultimate end goal was to do this to the glory of God. 
And, and then he goes on to talk about the Gentiles and how the glory of God that he was to get from us, you and me, most of us who are Gentiles, non-Jews. It's part of his plan from the very beginning to give glory and honor to God. Look at verse 9. He says, and for the Gentiles, to do what? To glorify God for his mercy. Remember, we had no covenant promises. They had been given to the nation of Israel. And it's mercy that allowed us in on those promises. Notice he goes on to quote a number of passages here from the Old Testament. For the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. You know, the aim in all of this is that we would praise him, that we would sing to his name. And he goes on to quote more verses, verse 10. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Verse 12, again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. You know, in these verses 9 to 12, three times you have the word praise come up and rejoice and to sing. Do you see how the central aim of walking in love and accepting one another is ultimately to glorify and honor God? That's why we're a church family. That's why we're here today to praise Him, to rejoice in Him, to sing to Him, to glorify and honor God. So now we've looked at the core reminder that we're to accept one another as He has accepted us. We now see the central aim is to glorify and honor God. And then Paul has a concluding intercession in verse 13. It's really a a benediction of celebration if you will. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. just want to zoom in on that intercession and that benediction, that prayer. You notice here God is described as the God of hope. You may not be aware that this is the only time in the New Testament that phrase ever occurs You know, at times, God is described as the God of comfort. Sometimes he's described as the God of peace. Here he's described as the God of hope. And when we hear hope, I think sometimes in English, we we don't really understand it very well. Because in English, hope usually means like, "I, I hope I can buy that, or I hope I can go there, or I hope such and such happens. You know, in English, hope is really wishful yearning, wishful longing for something. That's what hope really means in English, the way that we tend to use it. But in the Bible, hope is very different from that. In the Bible, hope is an assured expectation of something based on God's promises. It's an assured expectation based on God's promises. That's biblical hope. And you know what? I I don't know. This is, maybe it's just me. I suspect it's also you. But men and women, I have to be 
frank with you that too often I lose sight of the promises of God. I just do. And I want us to take a few moments, and I'm just, I want us to look at some of the promises of God just to sort of refresh our mind. It's like taking the coals of the fire and just stirring them up a little bit. How about this promise from God? He made us alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt that you had and I had, consisting of decrees against us, having nailed it to the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Now, that's an incredible promise. Oh, man. How about this one? He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. If anyone sins... As a follower of Jesus, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, and 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Now, that's some incredible promises from God. How about this one from John 10, 28? Jesus speaking, he says, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. Very strong wording in original language. They will Absolutely never, ever, never, never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Man, I need to be refreshed by a promise like that. Here's one of my famous sets of promises. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Which means then I can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Hebrews 13, 5 and Psalm 23, 4. Great, incredible promise that we need to embrace in a fresh way. How about this promise? My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. Or here's another one that I'm encouraged by from Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He got started with a work in your life and mine, and he's going to complete it. It's a promise from him. Another one of my favorite promises, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. John eleven twenty five. What an incredible promise that is from God. Something to rejoice in and to give him glory for. Here's another one. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, Jesus said. I go to prepare a place, I love these words, for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. John 14, verses 2 and 3. That's, a, that's great promises, men and women. And then this means a lot to me. How about this promise? The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We need that perspective. 
The glory that is to be revealed to us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It has not entered the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Romans 8, 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. I don't know about you, but when I look at those promises, it is exciting to me. It is motivating to me. Look again at that prayer, that benediction, that prayer of intercession in verse 13. Now may the God of hope, you know, it's expectation based on the promises of God. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. You know, joy is contentment independent of the circumstances that we face. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Peace is that deep sense of assurance and trust that what he said is true. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, that just contentment that's outside of the circumstances, and peace, that just assurance and rest that we have, so that you will, oh, by the way, he says, in believing, In believing what? In believing the promises that he has given to us. So that, he says, you will abound in hope. You'll just have this abounding expectation based on his promises by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just a great reminder that we don't crank this out on our own. Oh, you need to know, I need to have hope and I need to have this joy, and I need to have this peace, this sort of rest assurance in him. It's not something that I have to crank up. I can't crank that up. The key is not our resources, it's his resources. And we can find ourselves having, because the God of hope does it, fill us with joy and peace and believing, and we will abound in hope, and this all happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Men and women, when we walk in love, it attracts others to Jesus and it glorifies and honors God. And that's a great thing. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you now for your promises. What a great, what a great review it is to look at some of these. And we thank you for the call that you have given to us to walk in love. And we thank you, Father, that because you're the God of hope, you can bring to us this sense of joy in our life, the contentment that is independent of circumstances. We need that. And you can also bring to us peace, the sense of assurance and rest in your promises. And we want to say this as a people of God today, because I believe in the deepest part of our heart, this is exactly the way we all feel. Our deepest desire is to give you glory and to give honor to the person of Jesus Christ. And as a church family, that's what we desire to do. For the glory and honor of his kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. 